it's great to be here with you, uh, worship with you. Michael told me that I just have to talk about Jesus. <laughs> Greetings from uh, Redemption City Church, from Terry Kruger, as you, who you know, part of the, the team there. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. At Redemption City Church, we're starting a six-week series on Ephesians. I only get to be here one week, so I'm going to give it all to you at once. <laughs> Not really. Lord, we're so grateful for your spirit who leads us into truth. Thank you that you, by your power you're transforming us. So, Father, it's a privilege to be in your presence, to worship Jesus, to open your word, we ask you to do what only you can do, the supernatural, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says, For we are his workmanship. Well, this is actually God working. It's a wonderful word. Another uh, way of approaching this in our language would be masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. He's building us together for something. In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's actually making us. Look at the person next to you. They're part of God's masterpiece. Tell them, you're, you're part of God's masterpiece. He's working in you, in us individually, but in us together. You ever seen one of those pictures? I saw one the other day that it's a whole lot of little pictures of people's faces, but when you kind of zoom out, it actually a, makes a bigger picture. I saw one a bigger picture of Jesus. And that's really what this is. We're all little parts of that. Turn with me to chapter 3. From verse 8. It says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints. This is Paul writing. This is humility. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God and who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This masterpiece is designed to demonstrate God's manifold wisdom and his eternal purpose. We're part of that. We're part of an eternal purpose, but we're also those by which God demonstrates his incredible wisdom that was hidden for a long time. Basically, that he could advance his kingdom through ordinary people like us. That he could transform us and use us to accomplish his eternal purpose. Let me get a little, little background on Ephesians. Paul, traveling through Ephesus on his way to Antioch, left Achilles and Priscilla in Ephesus in uh, Acts 18. Comes back later and there's a small group of disciples. Achilles and Priscilla had done the work. They'd actually gathered a group of people 
first thing Paul says to them is, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was the Holy Spirit. So they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Paul stays there for two years and establishes them as a base church. What's a base church? It's a church through which the gospel spread to all of Asia. So when it comes to the foundation of that church, we have apostolic foundation, we have a base church. History tells us that Timothy eventually led that church, and it grew to be as many as 100,000 people. Yet 30 years later, in Revelation chapter 2, the Spirit says, but this I have against you. You've lost your first love. And if you don't repent, I will take the lampstand away. See, we don't plant churches. Jesus does. Jesus puts a lampstand and says, I'm building my church there. And if we don't continue to follow him, he can actually remove the lampstand. There's a lot of churches that still exist, but the lampstand's been removed. They lost their first love. So I want to talk to you this morning about remaining part of God's eternal purpose for all of us. This applies to us individually. I got saved when I was eight years old. And I've been actually following Jesus and serving Jesus. He called me to full-time ministry when I was 21. And I've been serving him ever since. About three years now. So I just want you to know that you can, this is for the long haul. So how do we individually, but also how do we as a church remain part of God's eternal purpose? Three things I want to share with you this morning, and then I want to kind of give you a broad brush approach to that, and then I'm going to focus in on one part. But being a teacher, I can't just go to the one part. I've got to start at the whole beginning and give you all of, all of that, so... Listen with me for that part. If you need to check the, the uh, football score or something, now would be the time to do that. And then we'll come back to the, the in-depth part in a moment. Three things, if we're going to remain part of God's, God's eternal purpose. The first is that the main personality and focus of the church must remain Jesus. We all know that, but here was a church founded on apostolic input that had letters written to it, was part of the Bible, and somehow within 30 years, they had gotten away from their first love. Let me encourage you. He's to remain our main personality and focus. Paul writes, as we read in, in 3.8, me whom less than least of the saints the, the grace was given that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ there's always more that I might know him more see we need to remember he's not only our savior and lord he's the head of the church he's the bridegroom that we sang about earlier He's the very purpose of creation. Colossians 1.16 says all of creation was made through him and for him. All of this creation, including us, exists for Jesus. He's the purpose of it. 
some of you, that, that comes as a shock. You thought you were the center of the universe. And uh, just take a deep breath. You're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. He's also our first love. Every other emphasis is secondary. See, we can have other emphasis for periods of time, but that can never be our only emphasis. Our emphasis has to be Jesus. Our worship has to be about Jesus. Secondly, the main message must remain the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. How many of you know that miracles are not the focus? They confirm the preaching of the gospel. Mark 16, 20 says that God does signs and wonders to convert, confirm the preaching of the word, the word being the gospel. And so that has to be our main message. Not just for us as a church, but for us as individuals. Your message to the world. I hope it's not politics. Now we're in a midst of a political season. You know that. It'll be over by Tuesday. Hallelujah. Well, the, the ads will be over. But what will change a nation is the gospel of Jesus changing hearts. So you can change the circumstance, you can change the government, you can change uh, situations around people, but unless you change the heart, and it's only the gospel that reconciles us to Jesus, and the heart is changed. Whether you have democratic government or socialistic government, if the heart of people is self-centered, you're still going to be selfish. It's not going to work. So the answer to the world is not a change in government. The answer to the world is preaching the gospel. I'm excited about that. You know that. See, some churches focus on other things. Some churches will focus on worship. We're all about worship. Well, that's wonderful. But we have to realize that we're worshiping Jesus, and the reason we can worship him is that he's redeemed us. And someone who isn't redeemed doesn't understand worship. To them, it's just singing. We just sing a few songs. Ah, yeah, they're, they're okay. Yeah, they, you know, that song, I, it didn't do much for me. But it's actually when you restore the relationship with God. Some churches focus on family. Family is good. But let me tell you, you have no hope to raise your children to have an impact if they don't come to meet Jesus. Okay, I'm getting carried away here. I've tried to get to where I want to focus on. Some, some churches get focused on issues. We don't want to do that. We want to get focused on Jesus. Thirdly, if we're going to remain part of God's eternal purpose, the main mission must remain the advancing of Jesus' kingdom. That's what God's doing. Everything will come together in Christ, Ephesians 1.10 says. So our focus isn't growing the church. Our focus isn't finding blessing or comfort 
or wealth or even our gifting, our focus is advancing his kingdom. Remember, he's the center of the universe. See, when we think we're the center, then it all becomes about us. What makes me comfortable? What makes me blessed? I want to tell you a story. 1976, I was a senior in college. And with a group of people, we traveled from Southern California, where we lived, to Urbana, Illinois, to a missions conference. Yeah, I know. It's hard for you to believe that I'm actually that old. But we did. Mary is actually part of that uh, group that traveled then. This was before we were uh, engaged or married. And uh, we traveled there. There's 17,000 students gathered. The, the worship was amazing. Some great speakers. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot Leach, whose husband, Jim Elliot, had actually been killed in Ecuador, taking the gospel to a tribe people that she, four or five years later, took their two children into that tribe that had killed their, her husband to share the gospel. She's there. But one other lady had probably the, one of the greatest impacts on my life, message that she shared. Her name was Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere had been a missionary in Uganda in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Uh, she was there with a team when Idi Amin's revolutionary army came in and pulled the coup and took over. They came into the compound where they were staying and killed all of her friends. Her best friend was brutally raped and murdered. She herself was raped and beaten and left for dead. And her message to 17,000 students interested in missions was the privilege of serving Jesus far outweighs the cost. The privilege of serving Jesus far outweighs the cost. she was in love with the king and there was no cost too great bottom line is that we're all servants of Jesus someone once said if a commission from an earthly king is considered an honor how can the commission of a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice it's a privilege because of who we serve we don't serve people we serve Jesus now we do serve people but I want you to understand I serve Jesus not the church that I pastor Jesus has called me to serve those people there's a big difference. Because if I'm going to serve people, then I'm going to do what they want. But I'm not doing what they want. I'm doing what Jesus wants. That's a privilege because of who we serve. We talked about that earlier. It's a privilege because we get to be a part of transforming lives. See, when you get saved, you're God's workmanship. That he's, 
that he's creating for good works. So he's prepared things that you can partner with him to see his kingdom advance in people's lives that can actually transform lives. When people get saved or healed, our marriages get restored, we get to be a part of that. Every single believer, that's part of that workmanship, that's part of that masterpiece that he's created through which he is boasting to principalities and powers his manifold wisdom. Look what I can do through ordinary people. And we get to be part of that, transforming lives. But it's also a privilege because it has eternal significance. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago who had met with some businessmen who wanted to fund church planting. Wealthy guys who wanted to fund church planting. He asked them, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to put your money into church planting? And the response was surprising. The response was, we want to live lives of significance. See, they had already established business and made a lot of money and realized that's not what provides significance. Being a part of what Jesus is doing is what provides eternal significance. The privilege of serving Jesus far outweighs the cost. As I was praying for you all, I felt the Holy Spirit say, some of you have lost sight of the privilege. See, when we lose sight of the privilege of serving Jesus, serving becomes a chore. We lose the joy, and we just go through the motions because it's a chore. If we lose sight of the privilege of serving Jesus, we can become focused on people. That's, that's a no-win situation. See, when we get focused on people, we often get disappointed. How many of you know that nobody's perfect except Jesus? Okay. Now, how many of you know you're not perfect? But see, when we become focused on people, we get disappointed. Maybe we're looking for affirmation. But we don't. See, what happens when we get focused on people rather than the privilege our focus is on Jesus is that we can become the prodigal older brother. You know the story. Prodigal leaves. The father is waiting for him. He sees him afar. The father was looking when he finally returns. He says, ah, you know, even my father's servants are better off than I am. So he comes back and the father runs and embraces him. And what happens? He calls and says, bring the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration. And the older brother gets critical. See, when we get our eyes off of Jesus and people, we become the prodigal older brother. How come they're not working as hard as I am? How come that person didn't greet me with enthusiasm? How can they receive the same grace I've received when I've worked so hard? I had a friend uh, years ago, an older guy, was from Texas, by the way. And uh, he said once, there's a 
point when you're preaching where you go from preaching to stepping on toes. He calls it meddling. You've gone to meddling now. Sometimes the Holy Spirit goes to meddling in our lives. See, not only have some lost the, the, the sight, have lost sight of the privilege of serving Jesus, but some maybe have had a wrong image from the beginning. Maybe the image you were taught was that we serve people rather than Jesus. I don't know how many children of pastors I've met who don't ever want to be involved in ministry because their image is not serving Jesus but serving people. And they get hurt. See, if we're serving people, we're often looking for affirmation or approval or acceptance. We want someone to recognize all the good stuff we're doing. I want you to realize that I'm the person standing at the door greeting people. Who gives me a, a gold star for doing that? Almost nobody, except Jesus. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me close with one last story. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read it to you. I asked the guys not to put it up because I don't want you to be distracted by looking up there. But it says, immediately, Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. This is just after Jesus fed the 5,000. So all these people, you know the story, they're out there, Jesus is preaching. He says to this, the disciples say to Jesus, hey, send them away, it's getting late in the day. There's no place to get food. And Jesus said, you feed them. That's just not fair. Somebody finally said, ah, there's someone here with a little bit. And Jesus multiplied it. And I could get caught up in that. But afterwards, Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So this is late in the day. Because they've gotten the boat. Jesus sends the multitudes away. He goes up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So late in the day, they, they get in the boat. Now the boat, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 in the morning. You've got to get this picture. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. The disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay, here's the story. Jesus tells them to get in the boat to go to the other side. They get in the boat, and they start rowing. And 9 to, to 12 hours later, they're still rowing. That's a long time. Some of us feel like we've been at the oars for a long time. I've been doing the same thing. I've been serving. Nobody recognizes. 
You've been at the oars. And the wind was contrary. There is an opposition in the Spirit to what God wants to do in advancing His kingdom. The devil doesn't want to see the kingdom advance. He doesn't want to see you share the gospel with your friends. That's why you feel such a uh, difficulty to get the words out, to just say what Jesus has done. My daughter-in-law was telling me this, uh, this week. They went to the hairdresser. And this hairdresser is an older guy in his 40s. Uh, and he just starts talking with him about some things of, in his life that he's kind of realizes that he, he's got some, some spiritual depravity, let's say. And so he kind of makes a comment that, like, well, maybe I need to go see, you know, to the church or something, a church, and get some priests to pray for me, get, get, uh, get exercised. And my daughter-in-law says, you don't have to do that. You know, anyone who believes in Jesus can pray for you. And this guy goes, what? Really? I said, yeah, we believe in Jesus. He was there with her mom and her sister-in-law said, yeah, we believe in Jesus. He said, well, could you pray for me? I said, yeah, we can pray for you. He said, like, like now? He said, like, we got 10 minutes while this color sets in your hair, so can we do it right now? And they said, yeah, right now. So they go to the break room back there, and they share the gospel with him. He gets saved, and they pray for him, and, and God touches him. But there's an opposition. And too often, most many of us don't get to participate in that. Because the opposition, the contrary wind, the pressure to keep our mouth closed, rather than to just tell people what we've seen and experienced. But then Jesus came. And everything changed. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head not more spiritual to bow your head, but there's a, a place where the Holy Spirit wants to touch us and speak to us. Maybe you've lost sight of the privilege of serving Jesus. And maybe you've been working, but it's become a chore. Maybe you've been hurt by people because you got your eyes off of serving Jesus. And somebody did or said something that you could take offense at, and you did. The Holy Spirit just wants to bring healing. Maybe you've just been at the oars a long time. And you're just tired. And there's something of getting our focus back on Jesus and the privilege. I doubt that any of us have actually been stoned and left for dead like Paul. I've seen all of our friends killed and left for dead. 
I don't know how I would respond, except I hope that I keep my eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. There's just something of the Holy Spirit wanting to pour the love of God into us. Can I ask you if you would stand? Those of you who can. This is just so you don't fall asleep while you're sitting there. But we're just going to take a few minutes and just allow the Holy Spirit. Sit with your head bowed, your eyes closed, so you're not distracted by other people. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, would you just respond to him and say, God, I want my eyes to be fixed on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. I want to not just begin, but finish with my eyes fixed on him. If God's speaking to you, I've learned over the years that somehow there's it's helpful for us to have some sort of response to him. We just acknowledge, Lord, I hear you speaking to me. So I'm going to ask you if that's the case. If you would just raise your hand so that just say, Holy Spirit, I'm expecting you to do something to me this morning, to pour, to refresh, to renew. Jesus, you're here. You're here by your Spirit. Would you just pour the love of God again and afresh? As we've gotten tired, as we've gotten our focus off of the privilege of serving you, as we've gotten hurt by people or circumstances, we just simply say, Holy Spirit, would you do that wonderful thing that you do and fix our eyes back on Jesus. Give us a vision again of the king that we serve and the privilege of serving him. If you don't know him this morning, that's where it all begins. Significance, purpose, relationship with God comes from meeting Jesus. Turning from our sin, living for ourselves, and saying, Lord, I want to know you. If you don't know him, before you leave this morning, someone would love to introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't know him, today is your day. He would love to make himself known. Lord, we want to continue to be part of your eternal purpose. Lord, thank you that you've planted a, a lampstand, a candlestick, that represents this church. Jesus, you decided you were planting a, this church here. And we just simply have the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. Lord, we say humbly, the greatest privilege is knowing you. And the second greatest privilege is to partner with you to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.